This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. Good evening, everybody. We will welcome to our Bible study. Uh, tonight we'll be tackling the fourth chapter of Deuteronomy. Not all of it. It's quite a long chapter. So actually what we might do is just read it in little stages and see how far we mm-hmm. get. Because um, as I was studying it and looking, I ended up making pages of questions and notes and little rabbit trails based on uh, words and why words were, were said. So we'll see how we, how we wrestle it. But first, we're gathered in the name of God. What's the first thing we should do? Pray. Yeah, so can I have a volunteer to pray for us as we study the Word? Pray, brother. I'm not really good at praying. Not a problem, man. <laughs> In front Other of everybody. Oh, so really good at it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do it. Okay, Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come together, Lord, and to study your Word. Father, we pray that you bless us by the presence of your Holy Spirit to lead and guide and inspire we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Yes, that, that was easy. Great yes. <laughs> right brother. Don't be afraid. So going over uh, the material from last week, so Deuteronomy chapter 3. Um, now, remember, we are still on the plains of Moab as we are about to enter the land. Uh, Moses is giving his... Longest monologue of the entire Bible, even though he himself really huge. reminded us at the start of his, his uh, career that he doesn't know how to talk. <laughs> so, while avoiding mention of Balaam, the prophet of Moab, this is in Numbers 22-24, but in Moses' rendition of history, he neglects to say a few things. One of them is the entire encounter with uh, Balaam. Moses does, does, however, reiterate the victory over Og, the king of Bashan. Traditionally, Og is the brother of Sihon, and they are descendants of the fallen angel Shemhazai, okay? which uh, means Shmai, the reaver of heaven, uh, someone who split heaven. Okay? Uh, so in, in the book of Enoch, they give names to all the angels that fell. Give them all names, and all the names usually have some sort of nasty meaning, and uh, most of them, uh, and, and different characteristics and things that they did. Uh, Shem Hazai, according to tradition, uh, is tries to actually re-enter heaven. He 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 gets repentant and, um, and, and and wants to go back. Anyway. The, uh, the, the descendants of these fallen angels, they remained close to the foot of Mount Hermon, the traditional place where the fallen angels descended from heaven. Og is a giant, and his large bed was kept on display as a trophy in Rabat, present-day Amman. Right? right at the end of the chapter, they describe how big this guy's bed is. Although some commentators actually think this is actually referring to his sarcophagus. Yeah. Um, however, the actual word is, is bed. Okay? But when you actually begin to look at commentaries, people, particularly for people who don't believe in giants, right? and that includes about half the people who write commentaries to the Bible. So they'll begin to explain stuff away by saying, this large thing, no, it's actually a sarcophagus. It's unusual. Oh, 
This yes, is the Bible study. This is the Bible study. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. I think a sarcophagus made of iron would be a bit unusual. It would be a bit unusual, but that's, that's, that is what some commentators will say. And so I think I just put it in there to note that when I was reading some some articles, you go, oh, and go on to the next one. But that is how people are trying to move away from um, giants or Nephilim, or Rephaim, which these words in Hebrew have clear meanings, but uh, commentators who don't believe in these kind of things. Now, you and I, of course, are going to meet lots of those people. They are our brothers and sisters, too. All right. I happen to disagree with them, but that was one of their arguments. Okay, the repeated references to the Rephaim, right, the ghosts, uh, shows that God can assist Israel to defeat this race of fearsome warriors. And perhaps this is the motivation for Moses to actually recall this history to Israel. Right? They're about to enter the land, they're about to face giants, so in part of his pep talk, let's spend two chapters talking about how we defeated the giants previously. This part of sacred history is not pleasant for the modern reader. It records the slaughter and extinction, that is, there are no prisoners, of a race of peoples, men, women, and children. Atheists like Richard Dawkins ascribe, describe this event as genocide. Modern morality needs tempering through theological interpretation. That is, a secular world can admit the existence of suffering, but find no meaning for it. Only faith and religion provide meaning to such events. A large territory is captured with many fortified cities, 60 of them, along with a lot of unnamed, uh, unwalled villages. Several interpolations have also been inserted into the text by a later editor. Okay? Particularly in this chapter, you find whole sentences just thrown in afterwards. This does not detract from the status of sacred history or God-breathed scripture. What do I mean by that? Later... Uh, critics of the Bible will say, see, how can you trust this book? An editor has come along and fiddled with it. <coughs> One thing I've noticed in my 21 years in Israel is the only people who talk like this are Christians. <laughs> oh, sorry. Jews never talk like this. They've had this text for several thousand years. They've never walked up and said, oh my gosh, Moses didn't write the whole Bible. We're in trouble. They just don't think like that. We do for some reason. Just because some guy later added a few sentences does not detract that this is still sacred history or that this is God-breathed literature. Okay? That's something that we need to remember and also wrestle with. Following the capture of the lands of Sihon and Og, Moses announces the division of the lands to the tribe of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh. In this rendition... It appears as this is the idea of Moses. However, in the Numbers account, which is actually in chapter 32, we find the idea actually originates from the Israelites. They notice that the land is good for stock farming, and they notice that they have a large amount of cattle. Put two and two together, wouldn't it be nice if this was ours? Moses agrees with the condition that the Reubenites, Gadites, and Manasseh act as the vanguard in the invasion of Canaan. We know that during the conquest of Canaan, the tribe of Dan could not secure their allotted territory, and the blame must rest on the whole nation of Israel, as they were meant to.
to coordinate together on this invasion and assist each other. We now find that Israel has secured land east of the Jordan and been farming this land, breeding stock, all the while collecting manna, which is an interesting thought, although we don't know for how long. Moses then narrates a section of how he encourages Joshua to remember God's past faithfulness as a key to present and future victories. Moses also recalls his personal plea to enter the promised land, although technically he's been in the territory of Reuben. God is rich in mercy and forgiveness, so no harm in asking. However, we also learn that God can and does say no convincingly. In this case, commanding Moses to not speak of this again. Moses is allowed to go up to Pisgah, which is usually referring to Mount Nebo. And this is where the book of Devarim, or Deuteronomy, will end. Despite the negative result of his prayer and his intercession, Moses proceeds to encourage and uplift his successor Joshua, demonstrating the right positive attitude in the face of not getting his desire. Moses teaches all shepherds that personal satisfaction is never higher than the calling and plans of the Almighty God. Blessed be he. Okay. So Moses does his request. He gets an emphatic no. Does he mope? Does he go, well, that's it. You know, I'm not going to... I'm going to just sit on my rock now and wait to die. No, he proceeds to still do his job and encourage the next generation. And that has to be our responsibility too. That when we pray, we get a no, keep working for God. Amen. All right? We don't quite know God's plan, but of course, they must be yes and amen. All right, so that was our little, little uh, overview of Deuteronomy chapter 3 last week. Now we're doing chapter 4. The, um, the first three chapters have been sort of a retelling of history, um, what he's been leaving out and what he's been putting in and how he's been manipulating it. It's been interesting to look at. Now we go into uh, what, is, what is essentially a commentary to the, the first four books, the Torah. So we'll read... The first 14 verses and see how far we get after that, okay? What chapter for that's Four. Okay. So I'll start. Hear now, O Israel, the decrees and the laws I am about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. You saw with your own eyes what Adonai did in Baal Peor, that Adonai destroyed from among you all the men who followed Baal Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering and take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great 
as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him. And what other nation is so great as to have righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. Especially the day that those stood us before the Lord thy God is holy. When the Lord said unto me, Gather me the people together, and I will make them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days that they shall live upon the earth, and that they may teach their children. And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. Tell them how the Lord spoke to you from the fire, how you heard him speaking, but did not see him in any form at all. He declared to you his covenant, the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow, and then wrote them on two stone tablets. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules that you might do them in the land that you were going over to possess. Okay. So there's actually quite a lot there. Yes. Uh, there really is. <coughs> yeah. Anything that jumps out at you from just that initial surface reading, uh, they call that the shut, the simple little... I like the phrase which I haven't noticed before, that the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven. Yep. Yeah. I, great great yep. phrase. It is, but I don't Yeah, I've never noticed that before either. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Because you always assumed from other verses that it was just enshrouded in a cloud. A cloud came on top. Mm -hmm. But uh, no, this one, it's on fire. It's kind of cool. Yes. I like verse 6. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations. Yeah. So God's way is really going to stick out. It's going to stick out. It's going to pay attention. Yes. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. I like this. Go ahead. Tell them how the Lord spoke to you from the fire, how you heard him speaking but did not see him in any form at all. Yeah. You heard him but didn't see him. Yeah. From fire, speaking from fire. Yeah. What really sticks out to a lot of people, all the Christians, is genocide. Genocide? Yes. Yes, I know. Yeah, it, it, you know, it, there's a reason for it, and it's really upsetting to you because you alluded to that. You said it's really upsetting, and it is. Yeah. And uh, sometimes Christians, when we study the Bible, we, we don't make, well, I don't know why God did that. Nope. And that would be maybe one of the things that should stick out and show us how God's way is different from. Our modern. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. it's definitely different. I mean, are, there are many other verses where, where God says, "In my ways and not your ways," and things. But we have to wrestle with it because they're in the text. Um, one of the I was discussing with um, a Jewish guy actually at the the Anglican school. 
school teachers here. Uh, and uh, they were asking about suffering in God. And, um, and the, the Jewish guy got up and he says, well, we have a book in the Bible called Job. And he asked God all, all these questions, you know, for reams of chapters. What's, what's the point? Why do good people suffer? And then God answers and doesn't answer. Like, there is, like, he doesn't say, this is the reason why. <laughs> and, um, and, he says, and we learn a lot from that. That, you know, you can ask God, and the answer is, you have no clue what I'm doing. And uh, it's, it's very hard. On our end. But Revelation does have, does offer, uh, St. John's Revelation offers some reasons why God does that. Because when he's punishing, 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 every once in a while it says, and still yeah. they did not repent. Yeah. 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 When you get to Revelation, you have, uh, you kill two thirds of the planet. That's pretty wild. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a, there's, there's a, 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 a hint of um, let's not say come Lord Jesus yeah right there's that could you mind giving us a little more time to get things sorted out down here so that um, you know, Uncle John can come to faith because uh, when you come back I've read the book it's not pleasant um, yeah alright let's have a look at the text sort of uh, in depth now alright so verse 1 Hear now, O Israel, the decrees and the laws that I'm about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. Right. So, anything there that is, uh, jumps out at you in its context, I'll begin to uh, phrase around a bit more. Where are the Israelites? Moab. Moab, okay. So what has happened since they've... to get them to where they are? How long has it been? 38 years. Okay. So what happened 38 years ago? Or 40 years ago? Disobedience. Yes. <laughs> Not that immigration died. Right. So if you were Moses, and you were going to retell the Torah, what would be the way you would say it? In order to possess the land, you must keep the statutes. Okay. So yeah, There's okay. a connection. There's a connection here. You want to get that stuff, you better be good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> your success is linked to your morality. What have they received at Mount Sinai? The Ten Commandments. And? And, and the law. Like, actually, this week's parasha is uh, Exodus 21. And basically, um, uh, some of the Jewish guys that I study with, they call this um, uh, the uh, small print. So you get the big ten, and you go, oh, that's it? Great. And you go, oh, wait a second. And then this. And then you get this long list of, 
this is what you do for your Hebrew slaves, this is what you do for personal injuries, and next minute you just get law after law after law after law. The 613. Well, a fair chunk of them start showing up around here. Oh, okay. Like this is, and these are the laws that you are set before them, says the Lord. You know, if you buy a Hebrew servant or a slave, right, he serves you for six years, and in the seventh, he's free. He's free. Okay, you can only keep a human for a short amount of time. You're not really meant to keep humans, but we understand you do, and there's all these reasons why he's going to sell himself, blah, 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 pay off his debts, but you can't keep him. And you get all these interesting laws. Um, so, we've already got him. Now, what is Moses saying? So, so I'll, I'll, I'll say, uh, in Hebrew he goes, um, V'atai Israel, and now Israel. Right? Shma, el chokim ve'el hamishpatim. Here, or shma, what's the Hebrew word for shma? What does it mean? Listen, Listen. Listen and do. Yes, and obey. Yeah, the same word. Shema means hear, and it also means obey. Okay? That's the same same word in the Bible for obey. So listen, Israel, and it says ata, and like right now, okay, uh, Israel, listen to the chokim, the laws, the eta mishpatim, and the, the judgments, asher anochi, which I am giving you, uh, melamed, to teach you. To assault, to do la assault on behalf on behalf la ma'an tichiyu, so you will live. Okay. Um, what does he not? Uh, what would be a word that you would say? Uh, what does he not use? He doesn't use the word Torah. I'm giving you the Torah. I'm giving you the Torah. I'm giving you the laws, and I'm giving you the judgments. But the problem is, you've already had them. You've already you've, you've had these. Forty years ago, we were at Mount Sinai, and we were given them. Now Moses stands up. Listen to the statutes and rules that I am teaching you. What word does he use? Teach. He doesn't say, give. These are not the laws or the statutes I am giving you. These are the laws and the statutes I am teaching, teaching you. Okay? It's different. Because in the same sentence, he's going to say that you will go in and you, Asher Adonai Eloheinu, Elohei, the Lord your God, uh, of your fathers, of Otechem, Noten Lachem. You will go in and take possession of the, Lord, of the land that the Lord your God is, is giving you. So God is giving, Moses is teaching. Right? So it's not that Moses gives the Torah, you've already got to the Torah. The last 40 years you haven't been observing the Torah. Yes. Right? Because the Torah says you need to circumcise yourselves. What's the first thing the children of Israel are going to do when they get into, into, into Canaan? Circumcise. Correct. Joshua chapter 5. Which means the people he's standing in front of right now are not circumcised. Yes. Which, according to the Torah, means they cannot eat the Passover. Now, hang on a second. How can you not eat the Passover? Even they didn't eat the Passover for the wanderings of the 40 years in the desert? Jewish answer? Nope. Nope. Like, what? Uh, suddenly you realize, oh, hang on. Just because we've been given something doesn't mean we always put into practice. So the word Moses is going to say is, I'm going to teach you. 
You've already got this stuff. You should have already been doing it. You haven't. So now I start teaching. The land, the land you get given. That's something that's, that's, that's a noten. That's a, a gift. But mm -hmm. this, uh, what Moses is now going to do, um, I am going to teach. You know the emphasis that we, when, well, we're getting on to this, but the emphasis about teaching your children, and you know, you've got to pass it on through the generations. And he stresses it really heavily in this section here. Several times. The yeah. implication is that you've not been doing this. This is the reason why I'm standing here teaching you, because this whole generation that's been born <laughs> are relatively clueless about all these things you ought to know about, and because you've not been passing it on. Yes. I think that this emphasis is coming through. It is, yes. Actually, in those 14 verses, that's that's the theme that comes out, is teach and obey, teach and obey. Mm -hmm. Hear and learn. Hear and learn. I mean, in 14 verses, I think six times he says, do them, keep them, fear them, follow them, perform them, and the same thing in teaching. He's, he says it five times. Yep. Teach them to your children. Teach them, teach them, tell them. Yeah. So that's, I think that's precisely what's happening. Yeah. You know, there's, um, in... In this chapter four, he says, "Teach them so you'll have a good life." You know, that you will live. Actually, this is it's another thing we need to talk about. But that's not that's not the motivation at Mount Sinai. At Mount Sinai in Exodus nineteen verse four, it's a covenant. It's a brief yep. And he says, "You're to be." My uh, a nation of priests, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation, and it's a covenant. And in response to that, the people said, "We will hear and obey." Yep. But now Moses, where is is this implicit? The covenant implicit, not mentioning, but is he saying, "Yeah, well, the covenant is you who have hold, held fast to." He this. does use the word brit. He does use the word covenant. He does it. Thirteen, verse thirteen. Thirteen. Yeah. Yeah. It uh, says, mm -hmm. et brito," and uh, you explain to them, and I explain to them uh, your his his covenant. Yeah. 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 So, so he does it, but in this particular verse at the, at the start, he says, "I'm going to teach you." He doesn't say I'm going to teach you the Torah and we'll just sit around in class. He says, he says the words very deliberately, Chokim v'mishpatim, I'm going to teach you the laws and the judgments. Okay? And, um, and then, which I'm going to teach you. He doesn't, doesn't mention God yet. He's going to mention him a bit later. But he does tie it to life. But, you know, God does have a covenant with Israel. God always kept the covenant, but Israel always broke the covenant. doesn't right. mean that they kept the covenant. Correct. <laughs> oh yeah. No, 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 no. No one's ever going to, including including Moses, is never going to say. Yeah. Yeah. You kept your side of the bargain. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. No. Um, but God kept his his part. Yeah. So uh, they've already got the Torah. They had it, and now Moses is going to do the teaching, and um, he says uh, that you may live. Anyone got a theological problem with that? Nope. Oh, well, you don't. I know Lila doesn't. <laughs> but if you were a good stock standard Protestant, what can you live by the Torah? Of course. Well, 
Come on, now, what's the, what's the, no, give me the, give me the okay. good Protestant answer, right? Sorry. You can't, maybe, maybe. right? That is the, by grace, by grace, okay? But yet, what are we reading here? What is? By works. Okay. Depends. What, what, what obedience? Obedience doesn't necessarily work. Obedience By is, keeping law. Right. So it's what he's saying is something very interesting. Read Genesis 26, verse 5. Someone read Genesis 26, verse 5. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Yeah. So, so Abraham's dead. God comes and talks to Isaac. And he says something incredibly profound. He says that your dad kept, and he uses the words chokim, mishpatim, mitzvot, v'torot. And you go, hang on. Well, first of all, everything's in plural, including Torah. So even the Torah is in plural. How many Torahs has Abraham got access to? Not right. It should be. It should be zero, right? Because but 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 that's not what God says. God very deliberately says, yeah, "Your dad, your dad, your dad kept my mitzvot, my chokot, my 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 my, my mishpatim, and my Torah." And you're like, "No, he didn't. He lied. You know, he pretended he was. You know, he, it's not perfect. How could he be? What does it actually mean?" So when someone says, "Aaron, can you keep the Torah?" The answer is. Well, yeah, like Abraham. Well, how did he do it? Well, that's a very good question. <laughs> God seems to think he did. It was written on his heart. Something, yeah. <laughs> Something might be the way. That, might, that's how. Could be. Could be the way Moses uh, is, is going to bring in a lot of the heart. But the point is, we shouldn't, as our first reaction as Protestants, look at laws or judgments and go, oh, evil, bad, we've got to be very careful about this. Because both God, Abraham, oh, not more, not both, now more, and Moses is saying, do this and you'll live. This is actually good for you. Very positive for your life. You've had 40 years of wandering and it hasn't been very positive. In <laughs> fact, we've kind of been waiting for most of you to die. <laughs> so if some of you old guys couldn't mind knocking off, we'll all go into the promised land, okay? Um, but uh, here, here, he just says something interesting, and it's there in the text, and we just have to wrestle with it. So what does, it, what does Moses think he's saying when he's saying, if you, if you keep these, you live? Um, what does God mean when he says to Isaac, Abraham's kept my Torahs? How could he do so? Because he hasn't been written yet. You know, these kinds of uh, things. And I guess this is the reason why in the New Testament, Paul can say the law is holy, just, and good. But it's not the thing that saves you. However, it is words to live by. What, what does he mean by live? do these things and live? We right away assume it's salvation. Right. Yes. Uh, I think it's clear in, in the Psalms with David is, you know, if you keep the law or the, the, uh, the commandments, that it's health to the flesh and to the bones as well, physically. That if you walk in God's statutes, mm -hmm. it's also good for your physical 
well-being as well. It's, it's this is true. There are, there are many laws that actually, if we followed them, would actually do us good. Yes, as, as physical, like we would stop sleeping around with everybody. So therefore, there's a bunch of diseases we wouldn't be catching. Right? You know, if we um, stop mur murdering people, that's good for some people who didn't get, yeah, who got murdered. You know, it would be very positive physically, you're right. However, where does the Torah originate from? According to, I was going to say Jewish tradition, but it's also in the New Testament as well. Where does the Torah come from? From, a, uh, from Moses. From? A bit further than that. From heaven. Oh. From heaven, ah, yes, yeah. Can, can. Right, so, so on some level, already by definition, the Torah is a physical. It's more than physical. Does it come from heaven? Right? So it's already a spiritual thing. It's got a physical component to it. Because what's Moses going to say? It says, you know, God actually physically wrote this stuff. Like, ooh. Um, however, there's a part of the theology that says that the Torah was pre-existent, it was a gift from heaven, hence Abraham could keep it even though he didn't actually have it because he had it on his heart somehow. At the same time, it's also something physical because God physically wrote it. So there's a bit of a connection where heaven and earth meet. So on one hand, does the word... Chai, to live, implies salvation. We use that to imply that in the prophets, maybe we're wrong. Um, as it says in uh, Prophet Habakkuk, uh -huh. that the, the, the righteous one will live by his faith. Which we then take that same word to mean life, yeah, the eternal life. Um, so, Maybe. Or maybe it means both. So, at, the, at some point though, here we have, is, is Moses saying, you've had the, 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 the Torah, but you obviously something's gone wrong. I really need to teach you. And so I'm going to start teaching. And we're going to get 32 chapters of, of Moses doing the teaching. Um, and uh, you can live by this. It's going to be beneficial. And you'll go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. So he's teaching, but God is giving. All right. I think I would take that word meaning, as Jesus would say, life in all its fullness. Could be. So that you may live. It's, it's unlikely that, to be understood with this big eternal aspect at that point in history. Because yes, because it's a growing revelation. So. Not only is it a growing revelation, but there was never a condition that says if you do this, you get into heaven. Right? There's no... You know, it just, but, but it's still a teaching from the Lord. It's still a grace. It's all grace. Yeah. yeah, it is. But I think in the Old Testament, it was based on if you kept my statutes, you will... You can't prosper and live and be healthy physically without walking in my statutes. Right. There is that definite element there is of that connection that's going to give you a reward. And your yeah. reward is going to happen now yeah. as opposed to later on when we believe that the reward comes later. Right? And yet we have all those examples of people who didn't live very well and are considered giants. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Indeed. If the... The commandments have not yet been given, then what Paul says is they don't apply. 
Right, he does, yeah. So, and in Hebrew it says, Abraham lived by faith. And that's essentially mm, what yes, God yes. says too. He did everything I required. Yes. God did not stipulate you shouldn't lie. Right. And Abraham had, he, he did that. Yeah. So, is that wrong or not? Well, he hadn't given him the lie, say don't lie, so. Ah, he that's did the thing. everything Are Abraham you sure? did. Yeah. You're right. the, 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 that one verse in Genesis seems to imply that God spoke a lot more to Abraham than what's recorded here. Because he says, your father kept my chokim, mishpatim, uh, mitzvot, v'torot. And you're like, well, if he hasn't given him anything, that verse with these four different words. Okay? But God is not speaking superfluously. He's deliberately saying these words have very little meaning. Remember that the, the Bible doesn't always tell us exactly in detail everything that happened. It gives you glimpses, and it's that delight. What was that thing? It was the, the glory of God to conceal a thing, yeah. and the honor of a king to go look for it. Oh, that's 25, this one. Yeah. To, so we, we, we see, and like with Paul, I see through a glass darkly. I look at these words and I go, oh, I don't understand that. I'm going to spend a lifetime trying to figure this out. Um, but, uh, but maybe it's just the reverse. Maybe God actually required a lot more of Abraham and less of the Israelites. He stipulated all these rules and things that the Israelites had to follow, but Abraham followed much more than that. It's possible. It, was, it wasn't maybe, I, I'm agreeing with you, but yeah. I'm saying maybe it's more. Well, and it's in plural. The thing of the Torah is in plural. In that verse, Yeah. It's in plural. And I remember wrestling with this at Hebrew University. We actually discussed this in a Hebrew University class. What is the meaning of the, the, the Torah inside the Torah? Like, what possibly can it mean? Not only that, it's in plural, dang it. Um, uh, and we couldn't come to a conclusion, maybe because our professor was an atheist, but um, nice guy. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's when, when you know, yeah, yeah. But, but they, they were asking some interesting questions. The phrase I like about Abraham's relationship with God, God says to him, uh, walk before me and be blameless. So it, it is emphasizing the relationship access. Yeah. Walk, into, walk in my presence. Yeah. And although you're not going to be perfect, the implication of being blameless means yeah. leaves room for grace. Yeah. And that the relationship will actually cover the, your shortcomings. And it did. Yeah. Yep. So much so that God could turn around to Isaac and say, look what your dad did. Yeah. <laughs> but, and it was because Abraham believed God, it was imparted on as, righteousness. as righteousness. So he talked, like you said, they talked, he believed what God was saying to him, and he just walked in faith yeah. with what God said to him. Yeah. And that was considered righteousness. Yep. He's one of the few guys that argued with God. Uh, yep. There's a few, been a few others, but <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Most of the prophets. <laughs> a little dig at him at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. David didn't argue. Yeah. And I think, I think I've got a feeling everyone in this room has also argued with God. A few times. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, verse 2. Um, you shall not, I like, this is one that, that got me, I thought it was great. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, 
but that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. All right. What do you think about that verse? You have to be really careful. <laughs> do not add it, do not take well, it. Uh, right. I mean, the, the context is Moses has already taught them. Now, right, that's what he's done. He's done it in Exodus. Who was actually talking to the people of Israel in Exodus? Moses. Sure. Right? Now he's doing it again. A, um, a, a different, largely a different bunch of people. Now it's, no, it's yes, now it's all the kids. Well, who they were, grew up, yeah. They've grown up, up right? Yeah. And all the other ones have They're gone. 40, 30. Yeah, okay. And here he gives them this very interesting little warning, okay, which we have seen in... Um, uh, Revelation. That's it, Revelation. Yeah. All right. Maybe one person who has not added... To the command. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's adding and there's adding. I mean, there's, there's adding in terms of explaining or applying, right. which arguably is not adding, it's just implementing it. And then there's adding, which, again, a lot of, a lot of that happens around here as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, do not neglect to meet together, was it? Yeah. Yeah. And you gotta observe the Sabbath, but who does that these days? Yeah. It's still I Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You shall not add to the word that I command you, you shall not take from it. I mean they're very interesting words. Now put them in context. What is Moses doing? He goes, Okay, don't add and don't subtract. Okay, then what you should have done is just tell me exactly the same thing you said in Exodus. But you don't. <laughs> yeah, he changed it. Right, it's, yeah. It's very rigid where they have to follow a very straight and narrow. Perhaps we uh, don't quite understand the meaning of the word add and subtract. Yeah. Um, we, who's Protestant in this room? I am not also Okay. So um, we What's have. Said? Maybe well, we have the revelation, you know, don't add or subtract. Yes. And then you get, you know, the, the, the usual line. Now, I speak as a Protestant, but I'm a Protestant. You know, I've got 66 books, although Anglicans do have a little extra. But 66 <laughs> books, okay? And that's actually the smallest Bible in all of Christianity. Because every other denomination has more. Now, they haven't added, what have we done? Subtracted. We've come along and gone... No, we won't do that, we won't do that, we won't do that, we won't do that. Or as you go through the, the, the historical life of 2,000 years, we've, we've added and subtracted a book here, taken a book out, you know, done a few things. There's a good potential, and I would argue that we don't really quite perhaps have the full grasp of what it means to add or subtract. I think it's probably more of an idiom. Because you'll go to any denomination that's got a different Bible. And you've got to ask the questions, now, why did you add this one? Why did you subtract that one? And that includes us as Protestants, because yeah. we've done it. Okay? We, when we, when we were, came as a movement, this book did not look like this. Yeah, but everything's within context, because he's talking about the law here. And right. in Revela Revelation, the last sentence says, do not add and do not subtract yeah. of, of Revelation. Right. So it's of that specific... Could be. It could be. Book or law or everything has to be within context. Could be. Or it could, yes. And the context of what does it mean to add or subtract? It could well, be. Yeah. Jesus added and subtracted quite a bit. He had one commandment. 
He adds he added one. That's correct. He added one. But the add and subtract is, a, I think, more of an idiom than it is a literal um, command because Moses himself is subtracting. Yep. Uh, he is not saying everything. Yes. Um, and and, he del- and there's, there's a deliberate reason for that. And he's changed stuff around. Right? So, Every time we read the passages in Numbers and then we look at what Deuteronomy is, Moses has got a different slant on who's, who's responsible for certain stuff. But we all know that nobody can keep the law. Nobody that's been born except for Jesus can keep and, the law. And Abraham. <laughs> well, I don't know if that's... Yeah. Because 613 laws, and I think the law was presented so everybody knows that nobody can keep the law and it's grace that saves you. It always has been. Yeah. So, but nobody's going to, you know, know I mean, all 613 laws. or abide. All, They might know them, but they might not all abide. Sac- all sacrifices in Leviticus are all for unintentional sin. There is no sacrifice for intentional sin. Trespass. There's, there's no. So when you, when you, you have to go, well, how do I get rid of my intentional sin? Well, the text doesn't say. So you, of course, had to rely on the goodness and mercy of God. Yeah. And it started where? In your heart. Yeah. And, uh, and so every, every uh, ancient rabbinical commentary on sacrifices all said sacrifice without repentance is null and void. Every single one. They mm. said, if you don't repent, forget it. Jesus says exactly the same thing. When yeah. you bring your gift to the altar, you got a problem, do not proceed further. Go away and Make go, amends with your Go make amends, because I really want that relationship fixed between the person before you even come to me. So you got this little idiom here that appears in chapter 2. Don't add to the word that I command you, and take from it. Okay, because what's the historical context for Moses? He spoke to them at Mount Sinai, and then what happened? It all went wrong. It all went wrong. <laughs> yeah, it went completely fair shit. Okay? Um, before he even came back. Before he, yeah, yeah. Before he even got down the mountain, things weren't working. Okay? And so, you know, he comes this idiom. You know, please don't add or subtract. You know, I know what happens last time. I gave you some commands. You just nothing. You didn't. It's not working. In one year of that. Out the other. Okay. So he then begins to uh, uh, try and encourage the the people. Really seriously, pay attention. There's going to be some good parts about what he's going to say and some, some perhaps not so good parts. So part, uh, chapter, verse 3. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor. Uh, for the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. First commandment. Alright. So what was the sin of Baal Peor? Anyone remember? Off the top of it was the intermarriage with the Midianites. Uh, uh, Moabites. Yes, it gives you that um, commandment where you're not allowed to marry Moabites to the tenth generation. Which uh, then um, after you get the tenth generation, what do you get to? King David. <laughs> uh, oddly enough. But anyway. Okay, so yes, you had this very interesting encounter in Numbers 25. We're going to read a little bit of it because it does uh, mention something which uh, I don't think anyone is going to be able to um, 
know the answer to, but it's a lot of fun. Okay. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll read it. It's uh, Numbers 25. So while Israel was staying in uh, Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with the Moabite women. Right? You had that. That's what um, um, Baalam and Balak really wanted to trick Israel into doing. Okay? Yes. Which Moses had been sort of not mentioning, but now he does in a different, in a different way. Okay? The people ate and bowed down before these gods. So Israel joined in worshipping the Baal of Peor, and the Lord's anger burned against them. The Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of these people, kill them, and expose them in broad daylight. Before the Lord's, the Lord's fierce anger may be turned away. So Moses said to Israel's judges, right, he's appointed uh, Shoptim leaders, each of you must put to death those of your men who have joined in worshipping the Baal of Peor. Then an Israelite man brought to his family a Midianite woman, right before the eyes of Moses and the whole assembly uh, of Israel, while they were weeping at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And so what does Moses do? He doesn't do anything. Right? He gets a bit paralyzed here. Mm-hmm. Remember, where's his wife from? Midian. 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 And, and so here's this guy. Uh, takes a Midianite woman yes. and starts doing some inappropriate things and Moses can't. He's, for some reason, he's a bit paralyzed at this point. doesn't say why, but just remember his wife is also Midian. But then you get this interesting character. When Pinchas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, okay, so we've got a grandson here, saw this, he left the assembly, took a spear in his hand, followed the Israelite into the tent. He drove the spear through both of them, woo, through the body, through the Israelite and into the woman's body. And then the plague amongst against the Israelites was stopped. For those who died of the plague, number 24,000. Then here's something interesting. The Lord said to Moses, Pinchas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned my anger away from the Israelites, for he was zealous. Mm-hmm. as I am for my honor among them, so that in my zeal I did not put an end to them all. Therefore, tell them, I am making a brit shalom. I'm making a covenant of peace with him. He and his descendants will have a covenant of a lasting priesthood because he was zealous for the honor of the Lord and he made atonement for the Israelites. Yes, it's very... It's the only time in the Bible you get a brit shalom. Mm-hmm. doesn't occur with anybody else. And it occurs with Pinchas and his family. For how long? Forever. Yep. Which means that there is an Israelite family on this planet that is still in covenantal relationship of a bridge shalom. Do we know what that means? No. Okay. We have it's never had we there's no comment about it in in, in Jewish texts. It's just there. It's part of the story. So there is a tradition that says, well, it was actually only just for him. And, uh, and then he never died. No. Okay. Have you ever heard of the legend of the wandering Jew? No. You never heard it? Mm-hmm. Yes. Where, in what context have you heard it? Because it's changed context. I've just heard that, yes, there is one and he never passes away. And Correct. can has, never finds a home and yeah. you know. Yeah. There's basically there's no peace. <laughs> right, there's no peace in that which, which is contradictory. But, but. Correct. And it, and it, and it comes from a, a, a late
Christian tradition, which is borrowing from this early tradition of this wandering guy, that there's this, uh, when Jesus was on trial, one of the Jewish soldiers punched him for no reason. And Jesus turned around and sort of went, okay, that's it, you're not, uh, you're not going to die until I come back. And so, okay, now there's mysteriously, there's this wandering Jew uh, who's in sort of kind of real trouble, um, going, wow, when he comes back, he's going to be really angry with me. Um, but it, it, it harkens from a prior story of people trying to figure out, what is this, what is this Brit Shalom with, with um, Pinchas? Um, we have no clue. For but me, part of the story. thinking it's that his generation all will know a God. Because when you have peace, when you just know a God, otherwise you don't have a peace. Yeah. This means salvation will belong to his descendants. I understand so. Okay. Possibly. Should we not be learning from, like, that example? what it means to add and subtract to these commandments. I mean, isn't that the point? We have all these stories in the Bible, and isn't the point to teach all of us what does it mean mm -hmm. to love God? Right. Uh, I would agree that um, it's very important for us to make sure that we teach these to our kids, that we don't forget them. And then, because if we forget the commands, what have we done? We've subtracted them, yeah. right? And uh, and then to put them into practice, you have fulfilled them, added yes. to them. You've, you've, uh, or or, or um, if you you want to go overzealous and therefore add, sorry. So you just you follow the intention, and that follows keeps the commandment. Um, the issue about Pinchas and his zealousness. What is going to be one? potential issue with the zealousness of Pinchas and a covenant, a reward of a covenant, what is a potential issue in some forms of biblical interpretation in the modern period? Vengeance is God's. Correct. Is that, you See, then, look yeah. at, vengeance is supposed to be the Lord's. And so while you have this story, and God himself says, woo, like this guy, he's a hero. Okay. You actually find modern rabbinical commentaries actually trying to downplay the zealousness of Pinchas. Because <coughs> what they don't want is they don't want to get these young Zionistic zealous guys go, cool, let's go kill all the enemies of God. Because that's what that guy did. Yeah. Right? And so they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, that's not really what that means. You know, they, so they try and try to temper it down. Um, however, still there in the text. He still, get, he still gets a reward from God of an eternal covenant with him and his descendants. It's pretty amazing. Nobody else gets it. Um, and, and, and Moses, as part of his narrative, when he's saying, look, I'm teaching you. If you've forgotten these things, please don't forget them. You know, don't lose them. Don't add to them. Uh, but you've got to remember, remember um, what happened at Baal Peor when, uh, when we forgot God, chased after idols. But then a hero came along and did the right thing, and look what he got. He got a rich shalom. He got a covenant of peace. And it's going to last forever. But you who held fast to the Lord your God, you're all alive. Okay? Well, most of the people who were there at this time would have been how old? 
40, 30? No, maybe. Oh, up to 60. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. So, verse 5. So can I just say that yes. Pinhas is interesting in the, in the New Testament context because of the character of Shaul. Yeah. Uh, and also the, the school of Shammai, who put store by this kind of this zeal to protect the borders, the, the definition of the people of Israel, with such zeal. And they took on that spirit and then uh, Saul did too. Did too. Yep. Um, and it didn't really work out well. No. I mean, in terms of, you know, he was zealously throwing in prison all these people who were apparently going off the rails. But he had missed the point big time. Most likely adding yeah. to these statutes. And because the, on the um, AD 70 with the destruction of the temple, the, um, the school of Shemai didn't really come up out very well on that. Mm. You know, basically the, the school of Hillel and the Pharisees are the ones who actually defined Judaism from then on much more than the other groups. Mm. The Sadducees were a non-entity, they, they, they lost that completely. Yep. Yeah. So the so it's the the more gentle, the more lenient, the more liberal approach of Hillel is the one that has fed through, generally speaking, into, generally speaking, yeah, into the majority. The majority yeah. goes with Hillel. Hence the playing down. Of yeah. This. The, yeah. And yet, um, and just something that came to mind is, what is the sixth deadly sin? Is sloth. Oh yes. And sloth is actually not. Laziness, but it is that lack of that lack of zeal. zeal. The lack of ah, there you go. Seven deadly sins. Yeah, Dorothy L. Sayers. Dorothy L. Sayers. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, verse five. But it contradicts, "Thou shalt not murder." <laughs> yeah. Well, there's he's talking about the lack of murder. See, yes, it does. See, I have taught you statutes and rules. So uh, the word he uses there is again, chokim v'mishpatim. Okay, I've taught you these uh, laws and these uh, statutes. As the Lord my God has commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Okay, so what do we, what little bit of information do we pick up from there? Where do the commands of God get performed? What's it say? In the land land. to invade and occupy. Okay. Now, that's an interesting little little phrase. You're going to go into the land, and then you can start performing some commandments. What does that imply? They're not doing it now. Well, it says they're not doing it now, yeah, also. In the future... What happens if you're outside the land? Okay, I'll go give, give you give you a hint. Where do we have to offer our sacrifices? Jerusalem. Correct. So, how do you offer a sacrifice if you live in Athens? You can't. You cannot. And what's the easiest excuse for you? I'm not in the land. Yom Kippur. Because notice, when we studied, when we studied, uh, when we studied the book of Acts, when we found that, that Paul walked into a synagogue, and it says he argued with the scriptures, 
right? He didn't pick up the, you know, the Greek scriptures and turn around to a group of people in Athens and say, see, you guys all got some big issues because you can't get offer sacrifices for your sins. See, you're all in trouble. Anyone here offered a sacrifice? No, you're all dead. <laughs> That's not what he says. Because that, that would be, have no point to them. Because they're like, well, of course we're not in the land. So that we're not going to offer sacrifices. It's not going to be what we're going to do. We obviously can't fulfill those commands. And even today, there are the, 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 the rabbis have, out of the 613 laws, they have drawn up lists of which ones you can do here and which ones you can do outside. And because you can't do them all outside, the best place to be is in here. Right? Because this is where you can perform more commands than actually outside. So the, in, if you, you have an honest discussion with a rabbi in Brooklyn, where should you go and live? What should be his answer? Israel. Israel. What's going to be his most likely answer? Stay in Brooklyn. I'm staying in Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, mean, I know the what you're saying. The bagels are better. Yeah, yeah. Well, the bagels are better. Yeah. <laughs> that is true. And that's why you find sometimes you'll go up to those people overseas and they'll say, hey, why are you not doing this, these things? And they'll say, well, I'm not in the land. If it was in the land, you're right. Say, so, oh, hang on a second. It's one of those interesting little verses that when, when Jewish people read with a fine tooth comb, they go, hmm, being in the land. There's something about keeping the, the, the laws of God in the land. Okay? Well, right, right in the beginning, in, in verse 2, though, he says to keep them to go in to take possession of the land. So yeah. they're also commanded to keep them outside the land. So that... That argument doesn't really play. I mean, I, I think it's they kind do. Of like, yeah. I think it's kind of like you know, son, you're going off to college. Yeah. The things that I've taught you and I've told you, you to, you know, you know what I'm saying. I think yeah. that's what's really going on here because the the, the context is a specific people at a specific time, and, and Moses is having this heart to heart with them. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, yeah. But he, he tells them right up front. You know these things that I, and the rules that I'm teaching you, and to do them that you may live and go in and take possession of land. That's before they. Yep. So it's in or out. Well, I know what you say, but I can tell you now that's not the way the majority of rabbis who have the exact same text come to their conclusion. That's not the conclusion they come to. All right. Can you address the the, uh, the when the when the Israelites were in exile and a lot of them thought that God was still back in Jerusalem, and then Ezekiel saw the you know, the, the the chariots and all that stuff. And he saw in exile, ooh, God's not back in Jerusalem, he's with us. So does that change anything there? Well, as as the Israelite people um, have gone through history, the way that they've interpreted the Bible has changed. So when, when the first command that God gives Israel after they leave Egypt is... You should have no other God. Well, yeah, so build, build me a tabernacle. Yeah. Because I want to live, live amongst you. Yeah. And in fact, that's going to be one of the things that Moses is going to say to the Israel, is that the other nations are going to look at you and say, wow, who is like them? Their gods are so close. Yes. And so um, the Israel, God of Israel was already living with them in the Mishkan. And that was outside the land of Israel. And, uh, and then when they uh, get into Israel, in the first temple period, they, he became very localized. So localized that they began to think 
that God would never destroy his own temple because that's where he lived. How could that possibly happen? And it was a massive theological shock to, to actually have that happen. It was a massive theological shock. Where you go, but, but that was the house of God. You're right. And so you think long and hard about this. And now you can't make any sacrifices. And so remember, you know, you know with, we, we often say, and I remember many of the arguments, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Yet Daniel never mentions a sacrifice at all. He can't make a sacrifice. And yet he's praying. And yet angels are talking to him. He's getting visions of heaven. And no one mentions that. So what happens is every time you come to a different certain circumstance, you begin to reinterpret your theology. We all do. We are all learning, have we not? Things have happened in our life, and we've begun to go, hmm, what is God teaching me? You don't know this before? Well, yeah, you had the same Bible before. You had the same faith before. But now a certain event has occurred, and you've had to have a relook. Some of it has been a hard learn for all of us. Israel had it too. And uh, so events like Ezekiel, where he reminds them, God's with you. The parasha two weeks ago, where Moses says, or God says to Moses, come to Pharaoh. Right? It says, Bola Paro, come to Pharaoh. So where's, where's God? With Pharaoh. He's not with Moses, saying, let go. But he's with with Pharaoh. And so there's lots of parts of the text that, that will imply that God's right right there. They just forgot. Now remember, Israel had forgot. Israel had forgot the, the first time Moses had given them the law. So now he's standing there saying, now I'm going to teach you guys. Because you, uh, you keep forgetting. So verse uh, 6. Keep them and do them. Okay? Shomrim v'asitem. So guard them and do them. Uh, and this will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who, when they hear all of these statutes, what does that imply? They're teaching more. Yeah. They're, they're living by them. They're living and they're going to hear these things. Right? They will say, surely this is a great, how this great nation is wise and an understanding people. Right? So Israel was meant to be a witness. Yeah, all are going. They were meant to follow the rules and teach them. They were meant to go up to people and say, hey, you're not meant to kill your children onto this fire, God. That's really not a good thing. Look at what we're doing. You know, we're loving our kids. We're having big families. We're multiplying. We're filling the earth. This could happen to you too. Like uh, and we're meant to share. As, as followers of Jesus, apply that to our lives. What should, it, what should it look like for us? We should be living by the words of Jesus and teaching them. We should be. In fact, that's what he told us to do. Did he not? Yes. Baptize and teach them to obey. So we should be living like, like uh, followers of the Messiah so that other people look at us and then telling them why we're doing these things. Okay. Uh, verse 7, For what great nation is there, and this is a, one of the, uh, a very beautiful sentence, that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us, whenever we call upon Him. Okay. 
So Israel has their God near them. How? How does God have is how is God near to them in this context per se at the moment? It's in the Mishkan, right? It's a, they've, got a, they've got a tent where God is 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 present. He's living in the midst of them. Now, of course, when they get a temple, where's the Lord? In the temple. Okay, now where is he now? With us. But in their context, he's, uh, he's with them. Now, the verb that, um, that, that they use here is that uh, is for when, whenever you call on the name of the Lord. So what does it mean to call? What do you think that means? Talk. Talk? Okay. You need him for something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. It's one one option. But look at the because the, 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 the context is for what great nation is there that has a God so near to them? Uh, uh, so as the Lord is for us, whenever we call upon him. The Psalms offer a powerful set of examples: lament, complaint, praise. Thanks. Mm-hmm. So that should teach us how we. Well, that's what they did, of course. Now we all know, theologically, at least, that God is everywhere. Yes. Right. And at the same time as being everywhere, what else has God the ability to do? It's the ability to draw close to someone. We even pray like that. Lord, turn your face towards so-and-so. You mean he hasn't been looking at them before? Please, you know, please put your spirit on this person. You mean he hasn't done it before? Incline your ear to me. Incline your ear to me. Like, you mean he hasn't done that before? Like, not doing it right now? Of course he is. But we do pray like that. Think about it. Here's what they say. Our God is near to us when? We call on him. Right? And uh, so if that's true, what should be our next response? Call on him a heck of a lot. <laughs> <laughs> right. Anyone not want God near them? Yeah, we all do. So it, we, we, it's encouraging us to actually maintain an attitude of to call on the Lord. And so you develop active prayer life. You develop active spirituality. You develop centers of, of worship. You develop prayer times. You, you know, all, that, all that idea of you know, cyclical readings of the Bible and all that kind of stuff. But... The gift is God is going to be close. So much so that even in modern Judaism, even in modern Judaism today, when uh, Jews think they're praying, who do they think stands in front of them? God. And there's a reason why they're constantly bowing. They they honestly believe God's right here. We do too, by the way, as Christians. We really do. When we pray, we honestly believe that God is listening, do we not? We like that for a brief moment in time. Out of all the universe that God's got to take care of, somehow He's going to have a little bit of extra attention to me, and uh, we believe that, we trust it, we know it to be true. And here it's 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 also there that uh, the other nations are going to say, "Look at those people, and they're really special because their God is close, especially when they call Him." And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as this law that I set before you uh, today? And um, finally, in verse 8, we actually get the, the word Torah. 
all previously we've been using the word chokim and mishpatim, but now finally we say, look, this is uh, what makes Israel great, and it is the Torah. Okay, that nobody else had been given the instructions like that. It is a gift from heaven. It originated from heaven. Um, And if it originated from heaven, it must be good. Uh, So what wisdom do the other nations have? Human. Right, exactly. (laughs) And it's not inherently... Well, not inherently good, not inherently evil, it's a science, right? Like, you went to the Greeks, the Greeks could develop, you know, A plus B equals C, okay? Archimedes' principle. It's not, it's, that's great! Physically, you can make water go up. That's pretty darn amazing. Let's defy gravity. Um, We all use modern sciences. I mean, when someone gets sick, where do we go? To the doctor, okay? And we use modern medicine. We put a guy in a spaceship, we're... Had some very good scientists figure out how to get that guy up. Uh, satellite, blah, 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 how to grow food. Um, but, uh, but the thing that makes Israel great is A, their God is new then, and B, they had a special gift from heaven. Right? They had something that nobody else had morality. Don't sacrifice your children to the fire God. You can't have multiple wives. You, you know, you've got to stop murdering people. You've got to be more generous. You know, these kinds of really cool, cool laws. Okay, verse 9. But you have to take care and, uh, um, and keep your soul diligently. Yeah, what is it? What is the other translations? Watch your souls closely. Um, in the Hebrew, it is... So it does say your soul. So take care and guard your soul, lest you forget these things that your eyes have seen. So what's the danger for us all? Complacency. Yeah, and forgetting. Even forgetting the things that our eyes saw. Now, isn't that interesting? Remember, we've discussed it in Acts. Just because people see a miracle with your eyes, does that normally bring people to faith? No. No, it, it, it often doesn't. Yep. Okay? They see a miracle, they go, wow, it was amazing, and then they, they forget it. They then see something else, which is sad. Uh, and the, the interesting phrase, or use the word soul, keep guard your soul. Don't forget the things your eyes have seen, lest they depart from your heart. Okay. So where were they meant to be? On your heart. Okay? Moses, is, is, he's done it before already, and he's going to, in, all through Deuteronomy, he's going to remind people that the Torah, this gift from heaven, is meant to be written on your heart. That's where it's meant to be. Because your eyes will forget it. Yes. And, uh, but it's, and, it's, and it's going to be, have to be very close to your, as part of being on your heart, it'll be guarding your soul. The, the Hebrew word that they're using there, is it really love? Is it heart? Um... Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Melevacha. Yeah. From your heart. Yeah. In the singular. Melevacha. Kol yamei chayecha. All the days of your life. All right. And uh, make them known to who? 
Right. And now he begins to say, um, make sure that as a parent, one of our responsibilities is to teach children, teach kids, and then their kids. Yes. And you think, okay, Moses, that's really, really big coming from you. Because what has Moses forgotten to do? Teach his kids. Yes. <laughs> his kids don't turn out very well. Yep. So Moses has got to bring some personal experience as part of this package. Make sure you teach your kids. Don't you blow it like me. Yep. Okay. Um, and I'm sure anybody hearing it probably go, yeah, your kids weren't that good, man. I mean, Eli and his sons. You know, there was this thing where it's written down. You teach them to your kids. Uh, he's going to say it in, in Deuteronomy 6, write these laws on your heart. Very next sentence, you teach them to your kids. Um, and, he, and he's saying it because what happened to the children of Israel who heard the first set of Ten Commandments? They all died. They all died. They all forgot. How can you explain Samuel after he sees the example of Eli? I mean, yeah. He was too busy. He was what? He was too busy. Samuel was too busy? Because he was judge, prophet, whatever. Oh, man, you're very kind, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, no, look, it's a good question. We're told many of us will be the same. I mean, what's that uh, famous example just about all over the world? PKs. Yeah. Yes. MKs. Yeah. Pastors' kids, missionary kids. Well, you know, it was like, great. Dad's a pastor, and the son or the daughter are just not living up to the... It happens. Um, but it's not what's supposed to happen. Yes. Okay. So the burden is on us, guys, and us to make sure that we teach our kids and their kids. So, Naama, you get involved... Oh, she's going to sleep. But you get involved in your uh, grand, uh, nephews, nieces and nephews. Always in later on in Deuteronomy, Moses says to people, "This law belongs to you, and it belongs to your children." Yes, it does. So yeah. therefore, you're wronging them by not passing it on because it actually it belongs to them. It belongs to them. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's part of the covenant. Yeah, but I like the way he emphasizes that that even though it belongs to them, it's your responsibility to, to, to pass give it on. Them. Remember that when you have kids. That's right. Yeah, all right, yeah. yeah. No pressure. <laughs> no, but it's, it's for all of us. Okay, so uh, verse 10. So he, then he now goes back to remind them that uh, they've stood before God at Mount Horeb. Now again, Mount Sinai is often called uh, Horeb, particularly in Deuteronomy. The Lord said to me, gather the people to me so they can, I may let them hear my words, so they may learn to fear me all the days uh, that they live on earth, and that they may teach them to their children. So there's a very interesting little uh, phrase that God says there, perhaps um, might not be perhaps what we want to hear uh, God say. He says, bring everybody here so they can hear my words, so that they will fear him. Fear him. Be afraid. And, there was, and there's this, uh, in Exodus, there's this uh, strong emphasis on the children of Israel um, trembling before God when he spoke, falling backwards, uh, not wanting to, begging Moses, please tell him to stop talking, <laughs> right? We'll, we'll talk to you, just please get him to stop, right? Uh, you know, where, where it's hard. Uh, 
I think because their sin was exposing and they didn't want that. <laughs> I understand that. Okay. So, so, but but there we is a same. healthy aspect to the fear of the Lord. Mm-hmm. It's the beginning of wisdom. Beginning of wisdom is actually the fear of the Lord. And God himself says, listen, I need you to hear my voice. Uh, that'll put the fear of God in you. <laughs> okay. And, and then, again, immediately, you'll teach them to your children. This constant F reference to... You know, your children are really precious, not just to you, but to me. And so you yes, make sure. He loves um, them more. Yeah. Now, so, and then he, and, and God, uh, Moses then says, look, you did. You came near and you stood to the foot of the mountain. And the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven. That's a pretty, pretty dramatic uh, description yes. of where God is uh, talking from. He's talking from within fire. You, you've developed a very, very strong link between the command and the land. Not only, it's here, you just keep pointing it out. But not only that, you said the, the, the sacrifices, you know, cannot be done outside of the land, and then you mentioned Paul. Yep. And so the question arises, to what degree do the commands apply to Gentiles, to New Testament Christians outside. And, you know, Jesus talks about one or two, and then he talks about the Beatitudes, I mean, the Beatitudes do these things. But they are on a, it seems like they're on a different level. Could you address that? Uh, no. (laughs) In five minutes? Sure. (laughs) Come on, I expect a lot of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, All right. All right, to, to, to start with, just because many of the commandments actually can't be done outside the land, particularly obviously sacrifices, okay, that doesn't devalue any of them anyway, because each of them can be something that you can learn from. Um, same, it is interesting that the Ten Commandments come in the only passage of what's, you know, the Torah, the... the yeah. The only one that's named after a Gentile. The passage where you get the Ten Commandments is, mm-hmm. is called, that Parashat Shavuot is called Yitro. Yeah. It's the only one named after a Gentile, and it's the only one that gives you the Ten Commandments. And rabbis always go, why? Because in Jewish tradition, and, he li- and um, we haven't got to it, but we'll pick it up next week. Moses here says, you heard the sound, you didn't see anything. Mm-hmm. That's not what Exodus says. Yes. Exodus says they saw something. Okay. It says after the Ten Commandments, it says... saw fire. Correct. God was speaking from fire. That's what you definitely get here. Mm-hmm. But in Exodus, it gets even more. He says, you saw the kolot. You saw the voices. And it says it in plural. And you're like, how is that possible for you to see a voice? You saw the fires. Everyone saw the voices and everyone saw the fire, the fires, plural, and, then, and everyone saw the kol ha-shofar. And everyone saw the voice of the shofar. How do you see that? It should have said shomer. It should have said heard. But it doesn't. It says roim. And so the tradition is that when God spoke, he spoke from fire. When he spoke, fire came out of his mouth. So you can see it. 
and then uh, the fire split into multiple fires, each one representing a language of the earth. So who heard the Ten Commandments according to the Jewish tradition? Everyone. Yes. And Paul implies something similar in Romans when he says, no one can stand to God without an excuse. You yes. all know there's a God. Yeah. Even though, like, is what he says in Romans chapter 1. Okay, there, no one is going to be able to stand before and say, Hey, I'm, I'm not Jewish, I'm Aboriginal, you know, we never had missionaries, how dare you judge me and send me to hell. Paul would say, no, you knew there was a God. You knew it. You knew that killing your children was wrong. You yes, knew, of course. Right? And uh, because in Jewish tradition, and most likely in the way that the Torah is, is itself describes how God did it, God's put the Torah where? Uh, okay, it was a gift from heaven. Where, where do our souls come from? They okay. come from heaven. They're interlinked. Even non-believers know right from wrong. They know. They'll tell you, oh, I don't believe in God. Okay? I was a believer. I knew it. Tell me how, how, how evil <laughs> exists. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a great discussion. And so on one level, you're absolutely right. The... On one, on one level, okay, the Torah was given to Israel, so a little bit to do with us, but not a lot. On the other hand, actually, it's got everything to do with us. Um, because, as you know, thou shalt not commit murder still applies. Okay, just because you believe in Jesus. Yeah. Okay? And uh, there are 613 laws in the Hebrew Bible. There are over a thousand in the New Testament, and there's several million in Jerusalem. <laughs> now, which one did the blood of Jesus cover? Usually we say the 613. And you go, ooh, and you get yourself a better Jesus because yours is pretty weak, right? Um, it's the, the idea of now that I have the blood of Jesus, laws don't apply is actually not true. Yes. Of course, laws apply. Just Matthew, some. Matthew some. Five. Yeah, Matthew 5. Um, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota or a, nor a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But those who does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. I, like, I think the best way to understand this is Jesus says that, okay, light and heavy, um, but if you say it in terms of those who who teach and keep this, these commandments, these are the heavyweights. These are the heavyweights in the kingdom. Yeah. The guys who miss it out, they're lightweights. But they're still in the kingdom. Yeah. That's, the, that's the blessing part of it. Yeah. Yeah. And, so uh, those liberal theologians, yeah. they're lightweights. They're lightweights. They're in the kingdom. Yes, they are. that's right. Yeah. When Paul went to the Corinthians and then the, the Jewish people came to t teach him about circumcision and that you had to keep the law and all that, he was definitely clear about that you're not under law. Correct. You're under grace. As a, as, a, as a means of trying to identify your relationship to God. So if you're a Gentile, stay a Gentile. But that doesn't exclude you from hearing from the Bible, learning from the Ten Commandments, or learning from any part of the... There are certain commandments that everybody has to keep, but the, the, there are laws that are specific 
to the Israelites that Paul was saying to the Gentiles yeah, that, they you, don't apply to that, that you don't, yeah. yeah. They have food laws and things like that. Yeah. But uh, they're still beneficial. They're still good. They're still valid. Uh, but they're never, not even for Jewish people, were they your ticket into heaven. <laughs> they were part of your covenant. Do you see the difference there? Yeah. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.